Welcome back to another episode of Behind Startup Lines with me, your host, Phil Guest. In this show, we speak to entrepreneurs about their personal journeys of building a startup with a particular focus on the go-to-market side of winning and scaling customers. My guest this week is Kaiser Kromhoff, founder of Ment, a no-code document automation technology serving the legal industry. As the general counsel for an electronics manufacturing company, Kaiser experienced firsthand the challenges that in-house legal teams faced in drafting contracts quickly, but with the necessary accuracy that legal documents demand. Despite being told that document automation had already been done to death, Kaiser identified a gap that existed between complex, over-engineered solutions and lightweight tools that were fit for purpose. So Kaiser set out to build a solution that anyone could learn to use in just 15 minutes. In this episode, Kaiser shares what it took to build traction in those early days. She talks about how transparent you should be with those early customers and cautions us about overselling product features too soon. She shares her story of rebuilding the product and provides us with practical insights on how to build accountable sales from the get-go. Kaiser's story is a fascinating insight into building a successful startup. While initial funding was hard to come by, when product market fit started to be realized, she was able to raise a million dollar funding round in just two weeks. Six months ago, Ment was acquired by Mfiles. And while you might think that this would be the end of Kaiser's story, it's only just the beginning. Here's what she had to say. Kaiser, it's great to see you again. It's been such a long, long time since we, we last spoke and it's lovely to see you. And, and since we met, you've had a big success with your business. And we're really interested today to learn all about what your journey has been as a founder who has successfully built and exited a company um, since we met. How are you doing today? Uh, I, I'm very good, thank you, and, and it's lovely to see you again. I still remember uh, the first talks we had, uh, so now it's kind of coming back to those times as well and, and going through the scale-up journey, so, so I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting. Great. Well, you're very, very welcome. Now, you're calling us today where from uh, Finland? Where in Finland? Yes, correct. I'm here in Finland uh, next to Helsinki. Uh, some might know the place Espo, uh, but it's just right, right there. So, and it's a little bit windy here. Uh, the storm is approaching Finland, but but we hope it stays in Sweden. <laughs> well, you know that I have a very soft spot for Finland, having worked for a Finnish company for five years myself, and having never made it to Espo, I know Helsinki very, very well. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we bonded on over when we first met. And we were talking about how do you go to market with a new proposition? How do you build scale? How do you build traction with customers? Why don't you tell us a bit about your business and, and uh, introduce your journey before we get into that detail of, of the story? Yes, I studied law and became a corporate lawyer. Uh, over the years, I worked my way up to become a general counsel in an electronics manufacturing company, and I lived 12 years in Switzerland. I had my own legal team, but I had the daily challenges of, uh, of really the manual work, making things slow, non-scalable, and especially the knowledge management within the team and with the business people was super difficult. Uh, so I was thinking there has to be a better way uh, we cannot just add our working hours or, or the team all the time. There has to be a smarter way to work. And obviously, document automation is a solution. So you can imagine that, you know, lawyers, business owners, they do documents on a daily basis, manually, taking that old draft, 
starting to copy and paste text, uh, remember some old uh, cases they might have, and so on, to make a new draft. So this is very burdensome and dull. Uh, so document automation as a technology, as a software, can solve this. So that once a document is automated with the rules that you want to have, the next new document can be done by simply answering a questionnaire. And it will not only populate, but also kind of assemble all the complex content just the way you want. So the lawyers don't have to spend so much of time to do the things manually, but what is even better that the business owners who run the business can do so much more themselves. So that was the pain I had and looked into the you know document automation software out there in the markets and I just could not find anything I would have used myself, like zero. Uh, because in-house lawyers as well as the other, they're super basic. They are not necessarily technical enthusiasts trying to you know take their time to learn some uh, uh, complex software. Uh, so, so that's just, there was nothing kind of modern that I would have used. And I thought, hey, I, I might have a better idea. I took a pen and paper and started drafting like the first user interface and the flows, like this is how I would do it. So that was the, really the starting point uh, to, to create a new way of doing document automation. And uh, that's really the starting point. And then fast forward in seven years, uh, meant is the leading technology, I would say, in the no-code document automation. And I sold the company to MFAS, which is the leading knowledge, uh, you know, information management system uh, in the world. So, so what I, so now Ment is part of MFAS and I'm continuing the journey as leading the business there inside of MFAS. That's fantastic. Congratulations. And when you describe the no-code solution, is that an, uh, an AI-related product or... Did it, did it have AI back in the day? Because you said this was seven years, the journey. Yes, yes. Well, back in the days, uh, there was a hype of AI going on. There was a blockchain hype and so on. And when people asked, what are you doing? I said, document automation. It was like, ah, okay, yeah. They co- People considered it a bit old-fashioned and even saying that, don't you think it's already been solved, the problem? I said, no. <laughs> uh, so... No, I did not have AI in the beginning. It was very rule-based for the reason that my no- domain knowledge as a lawyer, you want results today. If you implement it today, you want the results. With the AI, right. it's really possible. So there is a law, you know, teaching curve, whatever, and you still cannot be sure what's the outcome. So if you have rule-based, like your company rules, if you're having this type of customer, these things apply, and then this and this and this, and that, so on, so on. It's always 100% right, fast to implement, uh, no worries of the AI proposing you something that you actually didn't want to have. But the idea has always been to do the rule base first and then sprinkle the AI on the top and because we have so much no, now more possibilities also with, with the existing technologies out there. Right, so you're now incorporating AI into the product, but really it was a rules-based solution to start with. Um, because of the the requirements for for legal accuracy and what have you, and of course we knew that in the early stages and, and maybe and, and even now, uh, AI is prone yes. to hallucinations, and uh, you know it's got to be accurate because we're talking about legal contracts here, aren't we? Yes, exactly. So the dot really matters where it is here or there. Yeah. And uh, so so absolutely. Uh, so AI is wonderful. It's it's really now already changing the industry. Uh, however. 
there's the certain accuracy needs are still there. So I think AI and generative AI and all the chat uh, GTP uh, possibilities of adding that into your product, it's really good, but you still have the lawyers need to be precise when generating new documents. So how did you deal with that challenge? You said that people were saying, Geyser, this mm. is like already been done. Yeah. You know, why do we need another one of these? Come on, build something new. Yes. How did you deal with that? That's a good question because when we started, we really thought that, okay, um, there's two ca- categories of markets, pretty much. There's the in-house legal, which is any corporation, and then you have the law firms. And somehow yeah. I thought that, hey, law firms probably have this figured out. They have probably have it implemented for years ago. Turns out they haven't. Or if they have something, the usage is, may not be that high as, as it may look like. Uh, so definitely there was much more market out there than looked like. And it became very clear from the beginning, the assumption of like, if I'm thinking that there, the market is lacking a modern, no-code solution that is truly, truly easy to implement, uh, I cannot be the only one thinking about this. And that really kind of brought us further. But of course, if you go into the company who has already some incumbent pro, you know, product in use, that they have used for years and so on, they, they can think that, okay, why should I change and so on? So that's also when we talk about now the sales and focusing the positioning, that becomes very important to position yourself right in the right phase of the journey. Well, I was going to ask you what advice you would give other founders because I've experienced this in myself as I, I mm. look to develop my first product and yeah. you think you find an area mm-hmm. perhaps that isn't addressed and then suddenly you stumble across this whole industry that you didn't even know to look yes. for, you know, how they entitle yes. it. Uh, and you go, oh, hang on a minute, there's already 101 solutions in this space. So what's your advice to someone that that, that has told that or stumbles across a ready-made market and you think it's kind of already done? If there was a simple solution in a way, then everybody would be doing it. But it, I, I can yeah. tell how, how I, I, I approached it. So first of all, I, I knew the domain of the actual work of the in-house legal very well. That yeah. was the starting point. I knew that I, what I would like to find. Then it narrows it, uh, the market research research quite nicely because if you th- if you have a clear idea this is what i'd like to do then you start approaching uh, and kind of doing the research on, on on those ones it can and it always does lead into okay there's that and that because you can like document automation it you can approach it in so from so many different ways you can come from the procurement you can come from the you know mass generation like mail merge uh you name it marketing automation Yes, it's a big umbrella if we talk about document automation, for example. Going into that, doing the market research and thinking what I would do with the product, I realized pretty quickly that either products out there are very, very powerful, but very difficult to use. Or they are very easy to use, but they don't have the power to do the logic and the complexity uh, that the other ones. So I, I, I realized that there's either or, and there was nothing in the middle that would combine the power to the easiness of use. And that's the really the design and all of that, what we started to go for, to combine the best of the both worlds and position it right to the right size of the company, the right size of a kind of a businesses and go from there. 
and then testing it because nobody knows. You just have to go there. You don't. You can't plan for three years and then realize oh this was one. Just like go out there, talk with the people, uh, you know, go to the potential customers, show what you have, even if it's not you know perfect yet, and gather the inputs, 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 and slowly you will kind of get into there. Uh, what is what what is the sweet spot? So you had seen a gap in the market. You had researched it mm-hmm. because it sounds like you went out and you yes. asked people, hey, is this something that you have a problem with or is, could this be done in a better way? You talked to your potential customers um, and that validated yes. that there was a gap. I mean, how many did you need to talk to before you went, OK, yeah, we've got a business here. Let, let's build this. Uh, dozens or hundreds so, so really? you just talk with everybody so it, yeah 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 it's not just like one uh so so absolutely we were giving you know the first thing that just putting the powerpoint together going through your own network and like and trying to get to uh you know legal tech events and, and so on and really uh not a handful but much much more and somehow when when you of course every founder usually they have their kind of first idea what it the product could be what the product market fit could be it often changes a little bit on the way and kind of waves and it's okay but at the end of the day the more you get these inputs from potential customers development uh what's going on in the world all of these mm. small little kind of data points will create the intuition that you have and yeah. that's something that i also like we're going to talk about looking back but i would say that uh, trust your intuition still because the, the, the intuition that you have it's not a feeling it's actually coming from something that you have those millions of data points through, throughout your, your life and then getting all of those creating the thing thinking that I think this could be it but but if it was so simple again I mean everybody would be uh, you know a successful entrepreneur so it's not only that it's also about timing yeah you can't be too early you can't be too late and a bit of luck as well. Yeah, that timing question, of course, is, is this, it often takes us a lot mm. longer to discover that. But what I'm, I'm hearing talking to many founders is that you, you amass this knowledge and this awareness of the problem that you're solving, either by identifying who's doing it okay or who's doing it well and who's doing it differently yes. and the market where it's heading and you sort of piece this together like a really complex jigsaw puzzle that you probably don't realize you, you've got a picture forming until you've got quite a lot of it stuck together. And then at some point, do you step back and look at yes. it and go, oh, yes. yeah, you know what? I recognize that, that picture. It kind of looks like a business that's coming yes. together. That's how it feels to me. Would you agree with that? 100%. It's exactly. But I would add that it's a 3D puzzle because of time element. Right. More complexity. Yes, right. yes, yes. Because because when you start, before you have the MVP built, before you have you know tested it, start to do the real product, the world is changing all the time. Right. Uh, so so it's not only that. So so absolutely, and that's the fascinating part. I would say, uh, I, I I just love it, uh, and, and you know, feel, you know, being in the details, but seeing how the big picture moves and uh, and, and living with it. Yeah, and it's that ability to, I guess, zoom out every now and then just to look at the bigger picture because we get quite focused, don't we, on what we've got to fix today or the part that we've got to design today yes. uh, or the conversation we're having. Um, that's great. So you, you you built the prototype. You, you've talked to a lot of customers. Um, 
who were the first ones? Who who bought into this early doors, and what was it like convincing them to buy your brand new product in a world where everyone thought this already existed? Yes, yes. Well, uh, we did the, the the kind of normal, you know, very common journey that making up an MVP, so not the maximum viable product, but the minimum right. viable product. That's right. also a hard lesson kind of to strip it down because you have limited resources you really have to do the one thing so that's what we did uh, we went out with that one and showed it to the potential customers and then you just you know it, it, what we did is that we uh, went to those potential customers we went to the legal tech events we uh, you know participated di- uh, different um, uh, well, well events and, and, and as, as, uh, everything that is out there and if I think of the really the very 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 first paying customer because we had of course like like trial customers in the beginning as well yeah. but then uh, like everybody should have like like it's just like start you know people using it and then the paying yeah. customer uh this was really this this was a law firm uh that was tech savvy meaning that they had been looking into the technologies for years already and had some technologies in use and that even if we had the mvp they saw something special about it which was the easiness of the use right. uh, and the implementation the fastness of implementation uh, so 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 they they they, they were the first uh, paying customers then they one two three and it starts to go uh, so the law and that was a bit too uh, you know if i look back that coming from the in-house world i thought like okay in-house is the market because i well i know the best turns out that we got so much inbound requests from law firms which i thought that had already some somehow solved it little did i know uh but it was really 50 50 coming from law firms and in-house what i what i learned is that the in-house uh, they have a problem they see a solution and they implement it it's much yeah. easier the process the law firms have a lot of other things to consider as well. How does it impact their business model? How is it, uh, you know, who is going to implement it? Because you have fee earners, you have like the other people, all, all of those. But we just still today, actually, we have 50-50 of the in-house and the law firms still going forward. So some of the right. investors and so were thinking, ah, why don't you focus in one? And I said, I, I think we still can actually do this because we had very, very neatly uh, defined capabilities in the product that actually serves the both. So you served two different markets um, as you went. And um, what was the initial product then? What was the one thing that you thought, you know, if we start with this, this is a kind of a a real specific problem? Because I've heard this from many successful entrepreneurs that sometimes they build big, complex products, but it's the one thing, one part of it that really drives the success of the business because that's the missing ingredient. Yes. Was that the case with with, uh, Ment uh, when you started? Well, uh, yes, it it has been very clear from the beginning, and it still is what sets us apart. And that is that how we allow our users to automate the template. How easy we have been able to do a thing that usually requires coding skills. So when we built the first product, I didn't even know about the word no code. Uh, right. Uh, we just made a product and uh, now the last years the word no code has become very known term and that's really what we are so i so i would say that if you think about document automation the really the difficult part is all has always been how to build the automation once you are in the generation phase that you just generate documents that's kind of similar in every 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 uh, 
solution. You just, you know, click through the answers, get the document ready. But how to get there is painful uh, unless you have a product that anybody can learn in 15 minutes, like we say, uh, is possible with our product. And that required, and maybe it was even possible because of me lacking completely the technical background. So this, uh, so sometimes I've been asking, so how can you be a lawyer without any technical background? Uh, you know, f funding a, a te technology company and, and growing it and even, you know, uh, then selling it and continuing a technology company without any technology background. For me, that was never an issue. I never thought about it as special because I had the problem. So, I mean, right. I have a problem, I have a vision how to do it and i was thinking like a lawyer this this is how we look at the paper this is how we work who cares about the coding who cares about whatever this is how i would do it and then transferring that dream into technology and of course for that part i did not do it we have amazing team we were lucky enough to find the best cto in the world who is still with us alex lukianov he said kaisa tell me your dream and i will build it and he did and of course, now we have a bigger development team and the whole team, which is just brilliant. So it's not the one woman show. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, the key here, isn't it? I mean, think about the problem. Think about the one that's customers. Because I could imagine that in the early days, going to talk to law firms about a no-code product would have just blown their minds because they it's not a thing they understand, have any interest in. What they want is they want the problem solved. How do I become more efficient? How can I actually get yes. this job done quickly, effectively, accurately? And they don't give a damn about the technology. Yes, until they see the price tag as well and see that, okay, right. right, okay, that's the price and it takes us half a year to a year to kind of implement. So what are we actually doing? Uh, so that's my opportunity, obviously. Right. Uh, so, so, but, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's really the case. And if I look at our current customers, there's also like the document automation has always if I think about the law firms, it has been a, 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 the basic. I think about it like as a back office. You have to have your back office done digitally, smoothly, scalably in order to scale your front of kind of a, the, the, right. the service delivery part. Yes. And if you don't have it all figured out, you're still stuck in the old way of, you know, selling time, which doesn't scale as a service at all. So if you need to want to scale, sell, sell more, you have to have more people and just, you know, sit longer hours. If you do it with the technology, especially where we are, then again, a very strong is this client facing possibilities. And that's where our law firm customers are heavily focusing on how to bring the technology into the, into the uh, service delivery part towards the customers. Right. Uh, that's again, kind of a right. newer way of thinking and that really scales. Okay. So you started off yeah. with these beta customers who are really useful in giving you feedback. I mean, how many of those did you have before you started winning paying customers? Uh, well, also not so many. I don't know, maybe five, ten, something like that. Uh, but right. they were more like like so premium, five or I would ten. say. Yes, and they, yeah, yes, yes, and 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 then, but then of course, once we got kind of learned, okay, this is like then, and then we started the paying customers, and after that, we have. There would have been also one possibility. Some companies try to or kind of apply this strategy of giving the product for free out, like to masses and try That's one strategy. Keep getting out there, everybody free access uh, to, you know, get the number of the users high and then try to convert them. Uh, 
we considered it, but didn't really do it. We had those premium customers, they were more like people we knew and who want to kind of give the feedback on the product. But then we wanted to get immediately getting the paying customers because I, I believe that once you actually pay for something, it tells you much more than the free use. Uh, that do we do you really use it? What are they? You, you, if there's no risk, there's no pay for the customers or you know co- yeah. cost involved. Yes. Uh, they don't they don't treat it the same way they they, they would otherwise. But they are, they are different. But I mean, in in our product and in our business, it worked. Uh, but right. just that just an alternative. So yeah. Right. So you you didn't bother with the freemium model. You went straight yeah. to paying model. And no, that number of of beta clients, five to ten, that's a useful feedback. Some of those won't yeah. be right for you. The use case they'll move on. But then of yeah, course you've exactly. honed the proposition, and then you start to win. And and I think you yes. said that once you got the first one, things started to snowball quite quickly thereafter. I mean, what did it look like winning the next five to ten customers after you got the first paying one? Yes. Yes. So uh, when we started selling uh, or the, the, the paid version of the of, of the product, uh, we learned pretty quickly uh, that because this was still the MVP. Based on that, we learned that yes, uh, there would be. So first of all, we got very very good feedback because we had approached the issue differently. The technology was different. The the, the whole design was different. All we got very uh, positive feedback. However, it became evident that if we really want to, you know. Um, challenge the incumbents, we do need to do the technology in a way that was my original dream, like a full, full, full no-code, uh, which right. required like a huge rework. So uh, so then it was a decision point, like, do we start, do we rebuild the product to really be able to do that? Or do we just push out to the markets with this kind of a, a simpler version? And uh, Decision was made that yes, we're going to rebuild the product to really do the thing right. that w- was the dream and, and be able to challenge the, the big ones as well. And uh, it's good that I didn't know exactly how much work it would require <laughs> changing the stack, changing the like <laughs> recoding pretty much everything. Uh, but I'm happy we did it uh, because then what we did is that while we had the first version out, we were selling it normally, uh, but we didn't put like full sales sales efforts behind it because we knew that the, the 2.0 version is coming up. So we, right. we kind of, we did all of this, I would say all of the, in, the sales was inbound. So so uh, we had a great website, we were well positioned, we were approached, so we, even for years, I would say ninety percent of the sales came inbound and still does. Uh, so, so that is that is something that is very, uh, I think, good and valuable uh, because you're effective with your sales resources there. Uh, so we continued uh, selling the one point zero version, which of course is uh, uh, challenging when you knew that something else is coming up. So how do you mm. then sell now what you have, knowing that they, what they really want is actually still coming up? Uh, but then we continued, you know, growth up. And once we got the, the, the second version, the real, the, the shiny one out, then the sales really took off uh, because right. we had all the, you know, the, the base work done. We knew what to exactly uh, address. And even if it's never ending story with the product development, product is never ready. Uh, but the basis of the real, real, real no code, uh, that was, then, then it started going because we had the per- perfect, I would say, product market fit. Uh, with that solution. I'm going to come back to product market fit in a minute because I'm interested as to your definition of that and when you really start to experience it. But let's talk a little bit about 
um, the, the yeah. early customers. How tolerant were those first yeah. paying customers with the with the MVP product, the first iteration of the product? Because I imagine that it was still yeah. not 100% there. There were things that were a little bit challenging. Yeah. Were they particularly yeah. tolerant with you? Yes, I would say so. Because we never sold... Uh, too much of a dream. We sold what we have. Right. And also what we tried to do is that we tried to... Didn't oversell it. Yeah. No, no, because it's it's you're going to get caught pretty, pretty quickly. And so not overselling and understanding what is the, uh, you know, the pain and situation you want to sell with that product. And, and, and once the mature maturity of the product goes, you can address more and more or different kinds. So this is right. what I kind of meant also with this time element is that that uh, when selling a product, we always had a clear idea that, okay, with this 1.0 version, this is how a sweet spot customer looks like. This is where we should be selling now, but in one year, we're going to be selling to them. And in two, three years, we're going to be selling to them. So so it's like also moving with the, with the, and we always have tried to focus on the ones that buy it now. Because if you're a startup, uh, otherwise, if, if you, you cannot develop product for five years and then, you know, you will run out of money. You have to get already the, you know, the, 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 the income uh, coming up. Um, so retaining so, those customers or, that you win, yeah. the early customers, but growing with them. Um, and then not, not as mm-hmm. you said, I, yes. I wonder whether or not they were vested in you at this point. Whether those early customers, did you find that they kind of believed yeah. what you believed and they were kind of prepared to go with the journey? And did that change the dynamic a bit yeah. about customer and supplier? Yeah, I would say yes. They, 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 they were customers who were very committed. You know, in preparation for this talk, you said to, you know, I should think about one of the biggest like wins and so on, the successes. We were able to win uh, one of the very, very, you know, you know, big four. We were able to win with our first version of the product. One of those, but head to head to the market leaders. That was like, that was really a turning point. Like we did believe it in all ways, but it's like that proved that yes, we are on the right track. And uh, of course, you know, they so they were very committed. They knew what we can do now, and it's already the the basic assumption of the easiness of the usage and the scalability is there. And then with the second version. Uh, so yes, they was understand. You know, they were very committed. Well, uh, some some customers also they yeah of course and some some which were like have smaller ones who did not have so much maybe uh, involvement from their side that they didn't have you know resources set and all of that. Some of them also like okay um, you know let's let's pause it and get back to when you have the the second version right. ready. So some of these also happen for sure. So it's not like everybody, uh, but more I would say most. Yeah, because yeah. I was going to ask the question about you know, being really honest about what your product does today, but also giving customers the, the view of where it's heading. And often in sales, that can delay the sale because they'll go, OK, fine, give us a call when you're at that yes. point. You know, how, what's that? Yes. How do you manage that? How do you manage the, here's what we're going to do for you today yes. and here's where we're taking it. No, you'll have to wait for that. You need to buy now to get on this journey. How do you manage that? Yeah, 
That's a very typical sales sales problem, I would say. So, so that, was it you or somebody who said that, like, like that? You know what is the difference between sales and marketing? Is that you know sales? If you have a car without the wheels, did you say this or some, somebody said it? So, you know, your sales sells the cars without the wheels. Marketing sales, you it's going to be you know actually moving in a year with those wheels. <laughs> uh, it, I think it's just like you just have to, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. You have to be able to pinpoint the value already now and how much you tell about the future. Uh, I would say it's case by case because if you're looking at yeah. the customer who needs the problem solved now, it doesn't make any sense to talk about your AI strategy in three years. If the customer yes. is looking for a partner who they are going to be committing themselves from five, three, to, three to six years, of course you talk about the future. Uh, so, so it's, you have to a little bit feel it with your, you know, fingertips. How much you tell, and so on, and 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 where it requires more of the future and where where less. But if you only sell the future, you don't can sell anything today. So you have to be careful uh, too much selling the future. That's really good advice. And as always, every customer has different needs, and and it's listening. You said it's about understanding them. Yes. Who was doing all this selling, guys? So was this you? Were you doing 100% of this or did you have a team? <laughs> yes. What did it look like in the early days and, and how did that evolve? Early days, founder-led sales. So yes, yes, that's the, that's the thing. I had a co-founder as well in the beginning and we both did, you know, some sales work. We had some focus areas where, you know, uh, we were focusing. Uh, we have the developers and so on. Uh, so so we, did, we did kind of the founders were doing the sales work, uh, me especially. Uh, and it lasted actually quite long uh, because in the beginning you have to put, if you have limited resources or lean resources, as they say in the US, I was corrected mm-hmm. once, so you don't, don't say limited resources, you have lean resources. So when you're a startup, right. you have lean resources. Uh, the founder is like this, uh, doing everything, uh, you know, fundraising, sales, market research, leading the product development, all of it. Once you get... Uh, you know, uh, more customers, you get funding and all of that. In the beginning, often the extra resources go to the product development. But as soon as you kind of hit that point that you, okay, uh, we have the feeling that product market fit starts to be there, then it makes sense to start adding sales uh, resources, which we also did. And that's the interesting part then as well. Because you have, you know, the outbound, you have the inbound. How do you balance it out? What gives the best resources? So as soon as, I'm, I'm thinking really as the startups now. So as soon as you start on adding people to the team who don't develop the product, which immediately gets, or, or are the kind of founder types, uh, the money starts to run. The salespeople need to kind of earn their uh, salaries pretty fast. Uh, so when, when, and the marketing and all of that. Uh, so, you, uh, so, so unless you are very, you know, VC backed, you, you know, splash that money, spend more, spend more. Uh, you have to think it very carefully and, and take like when do you, and it's not easy still. Yeah, yeah. Well, those days are long over, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of 2023, and the, yeah. the the well of plentiful VC money has definitely dried up. So, salespeople delivering their uh, worth quickly is is going to be key. What was the transition point then? When did you know? that you had enough customer traction through your efforts and your founder's efforts to think, right, we're going to hire our salesperson. And, and what was that first sales hire like? 
So, so first of all, it was with the second version of the product, uh, the, the, the 2.0 version that, that was it really the, the sales started, you know, going like this, uh, the sales cycles got shorter, it was easier and all of that. So it's, it's difficult to describe, but it feels like, like if you, you, if you're trying to kind of pull a train behind you, when you stay at start, start the, the, you know, day one, you know, developing, getting all, uh, you feel it. Everything starts to feel like easier and better, and 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 you know, people are excited. There's there's a feeling of the pull because you got momentum at that point. Yeah, you're starting to see. Yes, you you feel it. Yeah, small things and all of that, and also you know, based on that, when I then made you know raised funding, and it was. Uh, one million uh, round closed in two weeks. Wow! So that's a good sign as well. Okay, uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like you know. Okay, now it's moving, and and uh, uh, the first sales uh, uh, hire was actually a consultant we used to do, uh, you know, work with in the past. Uh, so, like a just a half, you know, partial times and so on. And yeah. then figuring it out, okay, now we had the funding round down, uh, can you data do full time? Uh, so that's that's where I got the first uh, salesperson. Uh, but right. still, what I, I would also like, like for the SaaS companies especially, you have to try to come into a situation like we, that the majority of the sales comes inbound. Because outbound work is always so much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, and you have to find the right people at the right time in the right companies and, and, and so on. So trying to get the inbound, and that is still like, I don't know, 90% of the sales comes inbound. So, so it's uh, what we had. Uh, so that's, that's something I still would try to achieve. Right. So inbound, always better if you have a plentiful supply of it. Um, often when you're scaling, the challenge is it's, it's not enough and you've got to have an outbound. In your instance, you, you, you worked with an external provider to get that outbound. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how important is it then as the founder-led sales that you document that sales process? Did you do that? And is, is that an important part when you're 100%. thinking about the next it sales is. team people? It has to be done. So, so when you're doing founder-led sales, if you're alone, so of course um, you can you can you, you get all the inputs into your head. You know what the customers are asking and so on. Uh, however, already there, when you start to scale your own work, you have to be more process-oriented. So get the CRM in place. You know, uh, start, start start putting you know um, how how you actually do it, not just like going around. So, so starting from the beginning uh, and starting to build those processes is vital because if you don't have those and you try to scale, uh, as a startup, usually, um, if you're not lucky to get somebody who has done it in a startup before, knows how exactly it goes, is willing to go back into the beginning, so to speak, yes. building things up, uh, which is very rare. Uh, at that point, if you're not the founder level already, you get typically people who need to get into it and kind of, and the more you have your experiences mapped out, processed, uh, and so making the first steps and all of that, the better. Otherwise, right. you're just like spending spending months and, and, and months in getting the person on, on, on track. And uh, you asked... What, what, what did you learn about the sales? And I think the biggest lesson that I have, have is that just like anything else, just like product development, it, sales have to be led as well. I can't, you know, going from founder-led sales to the sales team, 
you still have to lead it quite right. Well, in the beginning to get it ro- rolling, so so I did with the product development a lot, a lot of stuff, and I just thought, okay, they, you know, just having people to do it responsible with, no, you have to lead it. Uh, so that's one of the biggest. So you have to continue to be involved in it, even though you start to bring these resources in. Yeah. Um, this is just, a, I guess, a practical yes. example of what you mean about documenting the process. Mm-hmm. So can you think back to one example then? of a process you thought, you know, I really need to to document this. And and the reason why I'm asking you this question is yes. I think the practical side of what we do, it's all great talking about our journeys and theories, but if I'm a startup founder thinking, well, what do you mean by yeah. document it? Can you just talk us through one example? Sure. So so first of all, uh, it, simple like emailing or CRM that you know who you want to contact. Okay. Then the emails, it's, it's good. Like we had, like we had in-house and then we have law firms. So making a kind of a very good, your best shot up by the first email when you're doing outbound, like how, what, what should you say, how you would say it, because otherwise you're inventing the wheel again and again and again. So, so kind of having that with some customizable. So, so that's the first step, uh, knowing who you're contacting, making the templates, then, uh, the, a little, I didn't have the full sequence, like how, because I, I think the sequence is, is a little bit difficult because you always should personalize it somehow yes. to make it really yes. like, uh, don't, so, so don't just like automate it too much. Automated yes. messages. Oh, pff, yeah. No, no, no. I don't believe in yeah. it. Yeah. I have, it's very hard to make it work, I think, but some kind of uh, these kind of things. And the second thing is when you go and give a demo. So for us, it's always the main thing was to get a demo. Right. A possibility to demo the product. Uh, I learned by doing how to make the perfect demo, but then how to transfer that knowledge to another person is is a challenge. So making kind of at least on the you know on a bullet points that this is you know this these are the things that you should uh, uh, always uh, follow, starting from the pain, how the pain looks like, trying to get the customer to understand that yeah yeah that's exactly what I'm facing. And then yes. look, we have a solution, and this is how it works. The basic steps, how you how you approach it from the pain and the, the, the impact and, and you know the solution and the benefits and all of that. And then following up, then the offer templates, for example, because in the beginning you're also trying to learn um, what is the customers really need. Is is it is it this kind of you know? Uh, do they also want some training? How do you do the onboarding and all of that? So offer templates that you kind of remember it. Okay, this is what we offer to that. That's the pricing and so on, because in the beginning, you can't have ready pricing list and ready everything you learn yes. by doing, but already having those. So, so offer template, trying to understand that. Then what we also learned is the onboarding. Uh, right. So 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 it's not good enough just like to sell it and then just like, bye, see you in a year yeah. or see you in yes. two years. No, you want to have, you ensure the onboarding is successful. So what we did is that we even used the design principles on the onboarding. We called it the uh, the onboarding by design, starting from you know the the situation, the, the pain, and, and uh, defining it with the customer, finding the right templates, uh, prototyping, uh, the training, all of that. So we had that all uh, figured out so that it's a repeatable process. So uh, and then so I, I would say that those are the examples that I would recommend. They're great to me, examples. Easier said than done, of course. Yeah, great examples. I think the key takeaway here is start to document that process early 
because at some point, yeah. particularly when you start taking other people's money, they're going to want to know that you've got that nailed down and you're not going to want to go back and try yes. and start from scratch then. Far easier to do it from the get-go. No. What worked, what email worked, what onboarding process worked, all those things. Just write it down. Precise. That's the lesson. Yes. yes, even if it's Good. just like a few lines, that's better than nothing. And just yes. fine-tune it on the, on the way. Uh, so it doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it done. Don't think about it too much. Just it will develop. Great. By doing, yeah. Now, what does the sales team look like today? How has it evolved and, and what have you got in terms of a team that's, that's charging forward and selling the, the product today? So here I have to say that uh, my dreams have come true uh, through that position. The, the, the sales told us to the Empires because Empires has like hundreds of uh, salespeople. They, they are very, there's direct sales uh, to, to, you know, uh, there's over two or 300 partners around right. the world. They have the partner program, everything figured out. They have, you know, or they, we have, uh, you know, special specialists for, you know, sales enablement, you know, growth marketing, you know, direct sales, pro- partner programs. This is the main reason why, why I decided also that, okay, I think I want to sell the company because I get right. to go, I get to see the baby really grow out and get yes. these big muscles behind. And it's been eye-opening for me as well to see like how, uh, you know, 100 million ARR SaaS company, who's a centaur, you know, uh, you know, cash flow positive, how, how does such a company sell? Because I have seen it from the, from the small and a little bit to the medium, and now jumping really into a big company, how, how that machine works. And it's quite impressive, and I, I'm super happy to be able to have meant as part of that process and being, you know, brought into the world. Brilliant, brilliant. What are one or two things that you've seen then just on that scale play that have stood out? Any particular yes. approaches or tactics yeah, that work? Yes, I think, um, I think the very core is the same. How you position your product? What is the product market fit? First, so that is, still has to be there, and 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 having clarity on that one, and then having the processes to support it. it surprisingly, it's the same uh, when it comes to the very very core. Uh, but then, how uh, how for example, sales is led um, on a scale in a company uh, of this kind is that you need to have also very good data insights like on the daily on an hourly shot you can see live what's happening anywhere in the mm-hmm. company um so so for example I'm, I'm i'm part of the sales leadership team responsible for the for the men part they, you know there are uh, other people responsible for different you know areas and so on how how this organization is done like on the top level on a weekly basis you know the all the all the all the you know uh, sales information is gone through in, in, in detail also a lower level um, so I would say that that uh, the core the basic principles of, of, of having you know what are we selling to whom are we selling and then having the support like how to get there and how to enable the training programs all of that kind right. of getting it really organized uh, and structured people there but then having the data it's, it's structured it's a machine, you have uh, all the time data. Uh, if you see that, okay, now this many leads came in, that came in from there and there and there. 
that's very uh, interesting to see, and, and that's really where I, where I wanted to be as well with my you know original idea of the brilliant, event. brilliant, great to get that perspective from where you brought the company, the acquisition, and now uh, how the the engine, the sales engine, is motoring. Let's talk a little bit about product market fit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier, and I'm interested in your sure. definition of product market fit. When did you believe that you mm-hmm. had it ferment? Yes, I think it was with the with the you know the 2.0 uh, product that was the real true dream version of the product. Um, it could have been fitting also earlier for simpler usages use cases but that was never my ambition <laughs> so in a way it was also like okay if you want to really go to the deep end and do the kind of the difficult way like like we did that to really go into the complex documents that can be easily automated that's so much more difficult to build uh, so 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 i think that was if we if we targeted something a little bit different and we're interested in doing something commodity we could have found it a bit earlier, but that's not what right. what we wanted. You so had a bigger ambition. I would say that yeah. the, the defi- yes, yes, of of really meeting. If I think about back in the days, being a general counsel, those use cases, those are the ones that I really wanted to solve. Right. Uh, so, so that that's really and when and 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 when to find it, it's a it's it's a. a when you don't have it, you feel it. When you have it, you feel it as well. Things just go start to get easier. You get the feeling of the momentum. You start to feel, you know, the sales cycles are getting shorter. There's excitement. There's customers who recommend you. There's some word of mouth. Um, they talk good about you to the other ones, and 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 so on. So I think that's really the the sign of it that you 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 have reached it and. Yeah, I don't know if I can explain it. Yeah, any everyone words. has a different view on it. Yeah, yeah. often uh, what what you hear is that yes. um, if you if you if you're not sure you've got product market fit, you haven't, um, because when you have it, yes. things really start to move at the pace they do. And someone described it as the wheels coming off because you're growing so quickly, you can't stay on top of it. Um, you know, not everything is smooth, and that's a different challenge mm-hmm. because now the market is saying actually we want mm-hmm. this, and you better keep up. And that's that's the tipping point between yes. struggling to build a business to struggling to run a business that's in hyper growth phase. Uh, did you experience that yourself? Uh, the feeling, yes, but I have to also say that the legal, you know, uh, the, the hyper growth. If we compare to, I don't know, Uber or or <laughs> these kind of, um, uh, you know. DoorDash and these kind of uh, growth numbers are very rare in the legal tech, I would say. So, yeah. so putting that into the right, uh, you know, um, surroundings, yes, that they, hey, can you, when can you have this? When can you have this? We really want this. There's pressure coming from customers. When can we have this? So that is true. And, and you know, yes, we have, you know, three-figure sales, uh, you know, growth and, and percentages. And so that those are good good numbers. Uh, so so yes, absolutely, but uh, but this kind of uh, okay, I can't you know that the it has to be relative to the industry as well. I yes, have to yes, say. yeah, yeah, and, and that's true. Um, but it's the faster growth, I guess, that things are starting to move in the right direction. Yeah, yeah sure. Did you did you close yeah, your funding exactly. before that that started to happen? I mean, what was the story on closing the million? And and talk us through kind of that crazy two week journey. I mean, th- yeah. that just sounds like so easy. <laughs> Was it? 
It was uh, well, well. The first round that we made that was not so easy because we were still yeah. with the you know 1.0 version. So, so how we started is that you know uh, there we had some you know angel investors from the very beginning who just said, okay, uh, looks like a great PowerPoint. I know you personally. Something that you're going to do, I believe that's going to be a success. So, so these yeah. kind of people, uh, your own uh, owner of course money and and some some government money in, in the very beginning. So some angel, uh, angel money and, and so on. But then the first kind of a uh, I would say real angel round, uh, that was not so easy. Uh, so that, that really took time. And also there learning like to what kind of people it makes sense to talk because we also started to get the calls from the venture capitalists quite early. And in the beginning it was flattering, uh, of course, getting like, okay, mm -hmm. wow, uh, you know, people are interested in this. But at the same time, uh, these were the times before the still of the, of the you know, uh, quite in the beginning and everybody were building AI products and we said no we are rule based and all of that they're still interested you know it was difficult because when you don't have yet uh, the, the MRR in the in the uh, in the level that uh, would make it much easier uh, then that that was not easy and then you just have to keep on you know going you, you get setbacks and you know you keep on smiling and you just get up and you go to the next one uh, but at the end of the day, so we got, uh, you know, uh, angel investors and kind of a professional investors who put uh, money in a, in a first round, but that took much longer. It was not easy. Right. Uh, it was not. It would be a, you know, topic for for another podcast uh, for sure. Right. Uh, but then uh, once we did the second round, that's when we had, you know, the the two point zero, uh, you know, starting up. We had great customer names. Uh, so, so we very, very good customer names that we have been able to win. We were, we, we were proved to proven uh, the, uh, the, uh, the growth numbers that we were on the right track. Uh, so that was so. First of all, a lot of the previous investors invested, which was great. Uh, then uh, you know we got some of the industrial industry experts who had you know done exits themselves and knew something about the industry and, and so on. Uh, pretty much looking like okay. When I first said, for example, an email, we are able to do this. And, and, and then one of the investors said, okay, I don't believe it, but if you can prove it to me, we're in. And, you know, I that's, gave the demo great. in 15 minutes and they were, okay, yeah. So they knew it, they saw it. And, you know, these guys see a lot of them. So they just thought, yes, yes this is it. We are in. Brilliant. So that story of great that you got the million but you worked your way up to that and once you start another indicator yes. i guess of product market fit because once you go to the investment community with yes. a product that solves a problem that they think is impossible to do then you know it it draws yes. people into to backing you that's a great story how did the acquisition come yes. about how did yes. you uh, yeah how did that yeah. really happen Yes. Well, I, first of all, I was not planning on selling. So though, though I was still like full on, you know, we have the funding, we don't, you know, we're not necessarily in the need of further funding. Let's just grow the heck out of this and, yes. and, 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 and so on. And I, I, I thought that, yes, at some point, uh, you know, but I was never kind of working and thinking of the, I was just working on it. I wanted to, and still want to make, make, and uh, make a change in the way uh, how we lawyers work. 
we started a collab, you know, call about uh, about the uh, you know sales collaboration. So that was the whole start. Uh, so yes, you know, MFALS has an amazing portfolio of of, of uh, product uh, and 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 the capabilities. Uh, they had some you know some some um, some document automation inside of their product, but not as this. So we were thinking, okay, let's you know, collaborating in sales. Uh, that was really where we started. And we saw that, hey, there's great synergies. We, we uh, did some of the, you know, the API work, a little bit extension there, there. So that's that's what it was. Uh, until then, at some point, they said, well, if you're interested in talking, uh, you know, we could be also interested in uh, buying the business. And I was like, I, I, I was like a fish out of the water. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, Wasn't uh, expecting that. Yes. Let me think about it. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and then, of course, it was a very, very intensive uh, thinking, thinking process uh, for me. Like, what do I really, really want? And, 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 and uh, after, after very intensive thinking, I realized that I still I want to continue this. I'm just in a fun part. I want to end working. This is the greatest thing that I can imagine. I mean, even I know this is what I choose to do, and I want to do still. I don't want to end working uh, with Mint. At the same time, those five, six thousand customers that they, you know, have around the world, and you know, right. all that sales engine. I was like, oh my gosh, this could be so much easier to get, you know, faster to make that giant leap yes. to become uh, much bigger, so much faster. And and really, you know, and and that was really the the uh, the thought that was interesting for me and 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 when the old, and also the product roadmap the vision where does where does MFLs see themselves you know in in five years of time perfect perfect fit with ours you know they have you know you know big ai capabilities they have like every it was really like match made in heaven i would say and still half a year after the acquisition i can confirm that yes Brilliant. this was what Brilliant. i expect and even better I'm so happy. Great. Yeah. So the honeymoon still continues after the acquisition, which is great to hear. Um, and congratulations to you. Yes, yes. And I mean, it's, it, but we are, I'm also being realistic as well, like is in terms of honeymoon or something like, I think the fact that we really got to know each other before the deal and I kind of yeah, ironing it out of what, what I want to be, what the, so that is, also, I don't, you know, I don't, I think this is just going to continue perfectly. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's fantastic. So quite a, quite a journey indeed. But it continues. <laughs> it is. It's an amazing journey. And thank you for sharing us uh, with us, Kaiser. It's, it's a fantastic success story. And it's great to hear you still enjoying it, even after you, you've had a successful acquisition. When you think back over that yes. journey... What advice mm-hmm. would you give any other entrepreneur or, or what would you do differently? Maybe that's the question here. What would you do differently mm-hmm. if you were going to do it all over again? This is a good question. What would you do differently? Because everybody's journey is unique and there there's no journey that would be only easy ride. Everybody's going to have the bumps. Um, maybe if I look different, like looking back, first of all, it's like having your startup and becoming an entrepreneur is a little bit like having children. You know, you can read all the books about it and get the advice from people who have done it before and all of that, yet... You don't really know it what it's like until you actually do it. Yes. Uh, so, so that that's one thing. And things are so much easier said than done. Uh, so there's a lot of these 
people who think that, you know, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? And it's easy to connect the dots backwards. That of course it is. But when you're in it, you don't really know uh, what's in front of you. And all the possibilities from complete failure or or kind of lessons into into, uh, something else. It's like, you don't know, really. uh, I, I would I would say to trust your instinct because mm-hmm. you are probably the one that knows your business still the best. Yet, yes. don't be arrogant, but listen and get all the information and inputs you can have. Like, don't be stubborn. Uh, be be flexible in your own own thought without losing your own instinct. Uh, so so so, um, really trust yourself. Be persistent. Uh, don't don't give up. Uh, so, so, so that, that even when it's kind of tough, if if you believe in it. But of course, now it's easy for me to sell, say because the things went this way. Some might think that okay, if it's really, really difficult, when should I know when to stop and where to? Nobody has an answer. It's everybody's journey. Yes. Uh, so, so it is. It is. It, it 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 cannot be said from the outside, yes or no, or something like this. But I would say trust your instinct, uh, and and. Um, uh, but be open, keep the open ears, and I think if I do did it now, you know, again, I would probably stress less about certain things. Uh, but right. it's impossible to say to you know first time entrepreneur, oh, it's gonna work out. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah don't That's worry not about how it. it yeah. So, yeah. so it's just yeah, exactly. So because the st- running a startup is like having sprint a day, every day, which make a marathon at the end. So, yes. so, so that's that's really like if if you're going into it, yeah, no, you're not gonna know everything what's gonna happen, but enjoy the ride, because it's still so much that you can learn from. So, so I I, I, I wouldn't probably do too much things differently because that's life. You can't just choose everything. I love that analogy, Kaiser. That idea that a startup is a series of daily sprints that adds up into a marathon. I mean, that that is the truth. Yes. Uh, I love that uh, analogy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all these great insights. We have a little tradition here on this show, um, and that's to wrap okay. with a slightly more militaristic themed question. Hence the uh, name of the, okay. of the podcast behind Startup Lines. You know, my background in the services and I think working in startups is a bit like operating behind enemy lines, disrupting markets. So I've got one question for you just to wrap Mm -hmm. up, um, if you're ready for it. Um, And it's about sharing a time when you had to retreat or tactically withdraw or regroup uh, in order to ultimately succeed. And I'm sure you've had to do that. But how did you bounce back from that situation of having to retreat? Um with the team uh so yes you, you i think i'm thinking about really like when yes you are a founder but you still have to have the team around it your 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 co- comrades how do you say that in army yeah, i don't know yeah, yeah yeah comrades yeah yes because the army is not a one woman army is not a one man it's like one for all all for one if you have yeah. that team around you uh, that supports you, shares your vision. And when you have to retreat, we say, like, okay, this is where we are. Uh, we can come together, join our forces. And and together we are stronger than only one person. I would I would say that one. And, and not thinking that you, 
you alone always, you know. Well, at the end of the, yes, yeah. you're the founder. However, rely on your team, build a team as best as you can, and you will get far. Yeah. If you want to go far, go with others. That's the key here. And uh, yes. that's really great advice. Kaiser, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. How can people find out more about Ment and M-Files and get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. Please go to the website of, uh, of mfiles.com and you will find their document automation and Ment as well. There's a little bit of my story and please feel always free to connect with me also over LinkedIn. So Kaiser Kromhoff, and you know i'll happy to you know make more connections guys it's been an absolute pleasure i've really looked forward to this conversation we've known each other for a number of years now and to see a founder come from when we were talking about go to market some three or four years ago to you actually having done it successfully and to see the smile on your face that you're yes. still enjoying it i've really looked forward to this conversation and it's Absolutely. a huge thank you for joining us today thank you phil uh thanks for inviting and uh, you know We'll uh, see you soon again. Maybe in Helsinki one day soon. That would be great. Come back. Yes, you're very much welcome. You know, it's a great, great country and, you know, uh, some, some hobbies and, and, and things to do. So, so I think it's, it's, it's a very special country to, to visit. It is. And, it's a beautiful know, place. And also around yeah. the world. Take care, Kaiser. See you again soon. Take care. See you. Yes. Bye. Bye-bye. What a great conversation with Kaiser. Her journey from identifying a gap in the market to building men is truly captivating. Her insights on being transparent with early customers, cautioning against overselling features, and the tenacity required to pursue your dream offer invaluable lessons to us all. Reconnecting with Kaiser has been a real pleasure for me, and I'm thrilled to see her continuing her innovative work even after men's acquisition by M-Files. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Behind Startup Lines. If you found Kaiser's story as engaging as I did, be sure to give her a five-star rating and subscribe for more great founder insights like this in the future. Until next time, this is Phil Guest signing off from Behind Startup Lines. Over and out.